0: You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Well, welcome everybody. My name is Dusty. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer, and I'm really glad that you're here. Before I jump into the time uh, together in the Bible today, I had a really cool week. Um, There's some really cool and really hard things that all happened this week, but the the coolest thing that happened was uh, we were together in um, our bunch of our church planners in our Redeemer network that if you go back maybe eight years ago that what that gathering was like was Cedar Canyon, Caden, Davila, and I went with two other pastors and a couple of their people. So really it was just three lead pastors at that time. And this week in Brady, Texas, there were, give or take, I think a little over 40 guys, and it was all lead pastors or prospective church planners. And this is a big part of our vision from the beginning, as well as things we've updated with Worth It in this past year, that um, a lot of the churches we've planted over the last few years, like Abilene had three guys they're looking at planting, Thing. Midland had three or four. Uh, Pampa has one that they're going to plant in Borger and all this cool stuff. And I just wanted you to know that God's at work. Let's keep praying. Let's keep serving together and see what the Lord would do in the middle of that. There are also some incredibly difficult things that happened in the life of this church. So and I think this is what it means to have life together is there's going to be some huge wins and then some very difficult things that are happening all the time and that we'd lean into the Lord for all those. So um, we are in Luke 6 today and you, you heard um, a second ago the scripture. Read, and um, here would be where I would say why well, this is going to be this way that Jesus, said, who Jesus is, that this might be some of the most attractive things that you'll ever hear Jesus say. That you'll hear this, and you'll be like, Oh man, like I don't see that anywhere. I would love that if that were true. If I could know a God that would say something like that and follow that, and there would be this a, a different way than what I tend to see. And it relates to how, how unloving and, and judgmental our world is. How unloving and judgmental our world is. It, you experience it in so many different ways. And it, just because you say that you are loving and accepting doesn't mean uh, that you can, that see things the way that we see it and live in a way like we live it. And that that's when things tend to come together like that is when there's a level of agreement. And you are very loved and accepted um, as long as you live in a certain way and as long as you agree with whatever orthodoxy would be within those circles. But as soon, as soon as you break from that, that all of a sudden that community and set of values that formerly were very loving and accepting all of a sudden becomes very unloving and judgmental. That's how the whole world operates. All right. Now for a long time, that sometimes those comments were reserved only for Christians. And I'm not saying unfairly that I think we have to own the fact that oftentimes we as a people collectively have been unloving and judgmental and I think the ones that were probably had the worst odor about it where whenever we uh, whenever we had this air of like we're way up here and you're way down here and how could you possibly make that mistake or how could you do that or how could you think that as if that all of us are way above that I think we have to own the fact that um, that, that is true uh, my only point would be is we've got good company in that because this is human nature all right that we we're going to be very prone to getting on a high horse and collectively only really Loving and accepting and avoiding judgment of those that already are kind of like us. And Jesus is going to show us a different way. So, what we're going to do, we're going to look at really both of those components about um, positively being loving and non judgmental in each of these two sections of the scripture today. And I, I do think this could be incredibly attractive this way of Jesus that's countercultural uh, for every people and every culture. So, uh, let's pick up in verse 27. And I'm going to reread this whole section here uh, because it truly is revolutionary. Um, and, and he says, these are Jesus' words. I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse for you. Pray, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. The one who takes away your cloak, give him your tunic as well. Demand them back. As those who uh, as and as you wish that others would do to you do so to them this is sometimes called the golden r- rule to do it to others as they would do to you if you love those who love you what benefit of that is you in fact i 'm just going to stop right there because i 'm going to pick up in verses thirty two and thirty three in just a moment um, let me let me read verse thirty five the end of it it talks about uh, you know loving your enemies do good and lend expecting nothing in return your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. We'll pick up with those two verses I skipped over in just a second. But Jesus is saying something here that's pretty exceptional. It's a different way. And I feel like I need to start off before we look into what Jesus is saying by starting off saying what he's not saying. Uh, For instance, Jesus is not saying that if you've been abused in the past or you've been a part of a very harmful, damaging relationship in the past, he's not advocating a boundaryless relationship where, let's say, for instance, you had had an abusive uh, relationship in the past with a family member that you need to go have lunch with that family member this week or go do family vacation next year with that family member. Jesus is not advocating that. He's also not uh, condemning the banking industry when he talks about uh, lending. He's also not saying that every time someone were begging, regardless on if it's the best way to help them or not, that you need to give them whatever it is that they're asking for in that minute, that that, that, that may in fact sometimes be destructive or not the best way to help. He's not making the um, carte blanche statements like it may seem here on first glance. He's not saying that. Um, so I want to put that out there on the front end, um, that um, that there is something that he's getting at here. And, and maybe the b- way of starting that conversation about what Jesus is saying is by looking a bit at the golden rule there in verse 31. As you wish others would do to you, do so to them. And i had never noticed this before, but when I studied commentators on this verse, this golden rule, that I kind of thought maybe Jesus came up with that, which Jesus did come up with a lot of real revolutionary statements and thoughts and teachings. This would not be one of them except for one aspect, that um, in classical Greek thought, which is really the thought that dominated Jesus' day, that it was a Greco-Roman world even that Israel lived in under that rule, so classical Greek thought would have dominated the day. And there were loads and loads of classical thinkers that said these kind of statements here of, hey, you need to you know, think about how other people, how you want them to treat you, and that's how you should treat people. And that would have been, whenever he's saying that, that people would have been like, okay, yes, I hear you on that that would not have been a new idea to the people there. What was revolutionary is the way that Jesus extended it and said, do that, yes, with those that are around you, your immediate family, people that agree with you, uh, people that you're in friendships with, but do it to your enemies. That right there was the revolutionary element of what Jesus taught here that was really a different way. And enemies, based on the context of this passage, would include those who have wronged you, those who disagree with you, those that have damaged you in the past, those that have opposed you. Certainly it would include that. But if you read through here, it certainly would go beyond that. It would include people that that just don't have anything that are begging and they're asking for things, or maybe someone that isn't quite that destitute that needs a loan, perhaps to uh, start a business or expand their business or to repair something that's gone wrong in their home or to um, compensate for a short-term cash flow problem or whatever. The case would be someone that needs a loan, and um, it it would include uh, people that don't have anything to offer you in return, um, that they're not going to offer you. There's no reciprocity in the relationship, that there's not any you scratch my back and I'm going to scratch your back, that we're going to feel good about ourselves when we're together, that we're going to enhance one another's social capital by this friendship that Jesus is saying when he says, Hey, you know, love your enemies and pray for your enemies and do to people like you want them to do to you. He's especially Especially talking about those that don't have any level of reciprocity relationally for you at all. Not, they don't have any benefit to you on a personal level. And um, this is an incredibly revolutionary statement here, that there would be that kind of love and kindness offered. To, um, to people that don't really have anything to offer you, that there's no, there's no element here that they're going to be able to provide anything for you at all. So Jesus is saying um, we, we're going to be loving with one another. And uh, the, the force of this teaching here really falls on two verses, the ones that I skipped, and I want to look at them now in verses 32 and 33. It says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? This is where he really just expands on this idea. For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. So here's what where uh, Jesus is really going to press on us, is that I think everybody in this room imagines ourself to be a pretty loving person. Um, I, I rarely meet people that are like, man, I, I'm just flat out hateful. How love my uh, likes, we do all that together. Look how loving I am and how loyal of a friend I am to them. And by the way, Jesus commend all that and say, that's great. That's great that you're that loyal of a friend and spouse and parent and child and all, that's all great. But the thing is, is unless you're a sociopath, that that's how, like the whole world loves their children. The whole world loves their besties. The whole world loves their spouse. The whole world, like the people that have a lot to offer you and that there's a level of relational reciprocity there and they could scratch your back and you could scratch theirs and they make you feel good about you when you're around them and and you even have what Jesus is saying is the real, you know that grace is broken into someone's life whenever you can extend that kind of love, that kind of kindness with boundaries to be sure, but when someone's got nothing, they've got nothing to offer you, they've got nothing to benefit you, and in fact, they may even have opposed you in the past, and yet there's this love um, that flows from you, and uh, what a powerful thing. And if you want to even see, like, how, how would you get connected to that kind of love, that this passage actually details that uh, towards the end of this, this block of scripture in uh, verse 35, the very end of it when, it, when it sums this up, you know, loving your enemies and do good, and it really summed up everything that he said right now, and you'll be sons of the Most High. And here's the reason for it it says, For, which is the reason for all of this, he, meaning God, is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So, really, the point here is if you're like, well, man, that's good that God's kind to the ungrateful and evil people out there. They, they need, I guess they need love too. That's you. All right, like that, that's you that we're talking about. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the apostle Paul expands this idea and says, for while we were enemies, and then it talks about what Christ did for us and laying his life down for us, being resurrected from the dead, that you, spiritually speaking, you may not have thought of yourself this way, but spiritually speaking, you were, before you committed your heart to him, you were opposed to God. You were an enemy of God, but God's response to that was not to you know, turn his back to you and fold his arms and be like, well, fine then. You know that, that's the whole point is he went and sought those who were strangers uh, he went and sought those who were wandering from the fold of God well, he went and he went and found you the, the, he went and left the ninety nine sheep and you 're the one sheep he went and found you're the one he went and sought and pulled back to himself and he demonstrated love to you he demonstrated kindness to you, not because you deserved it. And trust me, you had nothing to offer him back. You're like, well, I'll offer him my prayer. So and was resurrected from the dead for your benefit. And even though you had nothing to offer him that made him feel better about him, he, he loved you like that. And he lays his life down. And he, towards those who are evil and unkind, he demonstrated love. And and even the final uh, the final uh, push here in this text is be merciful. This is when you know grace is broken in in our lives. Be merciful, um, even as you're... Father is merciful, so because of His mercy, it impacts us. It saturates our being, and then it passes through us into how it is that we interact, especially with those who don't have anything to offer us, and especially with those who um, who are indifferent towards us. Certainly, those that that do, but um, certainly those who don't as well. And what a beautiful beautiful statement! I can't think of any more powerful statement and more attractive, more missional thing that could be done than that we would be loving like this especially with those who are our political opponents, especially with those who have different moral stances, especially with those who believe believe differently about religion or whatever. It could be almost anything, and that we would not to say that all these things are equal and that stances are all the same. That's not what I'm saying, but that this kind of love and um, engagement and kindness would mark us. I don't know that there would be anything more beautiful and attractive about that in the whole world than us being like that. So now let's move to the second section. So Jesus is showing us a different way. Of being loving, where we are saturated with His kindness and grace through Jesus' death and resurrection, through the Spirit, through the promises, and then uh, then loving people who have nothing to offer. Now let's move into um, the next part about being non-judgmental. And I just want to start with reading verse thirty-seven. This is America's memory verse right here. All right, judge not, and you will not be judged. All right, condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be, um, and you will uh, be forgiven. Okay, so the way that most people use this verse is a like an ace of spades or if you want to switch the analogy, monopoly, this is the get out of jail free card that at any time, if anyone says anything you think is wrong or anything you're doing is wrong or have you thought about this other thing or could it possibly be another perspective? Almost any and every scenario where someone differs with you, corrects you, confronts you, anything else, there's a card you could play that says it's bible you know uh, don't judge don't ever judge me and or you're going to be judged so we all set on that you know and then you just play that card and you walk away and then that I mean, that like solves the argument But I'm going to start off again like I did on the love section by talking about what Jesus isn't saying. Because if you think through this very far at all, you'll realize the way that that verse tends to be applied ends up being nonsense and implodes on itself really quickly. And Jesus surely is not calling us to a nonsense ace of spades card to play. Let me explain. So um, I, I'm going to try to tread carefully on this one, but I'll give you an example. The other day, I read an article that was incredibly um, debated on, uh, on the interwebs out there, and there's a guy named Mark Galley who is the outgoing editor of a magazine and online art, uh, publication called Christianity Today. Galley wrote an article, um, nothing controversial at all about it, uh, making the case that he believed that uh, Donald Trump should be removed from office, all right? And trust me, I'm not going to try to wade down these uh, murky waters in here, so I'm going to refrain from any, any of my hot takes on the issue, and aren't we all grateful for that? But Mark Galley did have a, a take on that, and he put it out there for print, and on, within the week of that article being published, thousands of people dropped their subscription to Christianity Today in protest, thousands of people added uh, a new subscription to the magazine because of the stance that Galley took on that. So I, I've got a, a sickness that I can't really describe, and um, there's a, the tweet that had the article embedded on it that's how I even saw it at all. I clicked on that tweet and began to read the comments. I know, I know. And um, comment number one below the article... And this is why I'm bringing this up, is to highlight how we tend to use this verse. The first comment below the article was one gentleman, uh, just you know, regular American like all the rest of us, just posting on there. And he said, um, you, sir, um, uh, should not be judging our, our president and um, you are wrong to make your statement. Now, he doesn't really rebutting his points of his article, but he just says, you shouldn't be judging him, and you're wrong for writing this article, and how judgmental of you, and I'm quite confident you'll be the one that will spend eternity in hell. All right, so let's just leave that hell part out, because that's like obviously clearly judgmental, but let's just even say that that last sentence didn't exist at all. Let's just think through, whenever you you use the don't judge card like an ace of spades, he essentially is saying you're wrong, you're wrong for judging, you're wrong for writing the article, you shouldn't ever judge somebody like that, and what's he doing is he says all these points. He's judging, right? And so, like, that's exactly what you do. Anytime you lay the ace of spades down in a, don't judge me, you're wrong for judging, you're, you're judging someone. And so Jesus clearly can't be calling us to nonsense, which is what you're doing whenever you play those silly games. Surely, Jesus is not saying that, um, that we, we, can't, uh, we can't disagree and we can't rebut an argument, that he's not saying that all moral activities um, are exactly the same. Surely, he's not saying, you're like, don't call me Shirley, um, whatever, uh, but he's not saying, he's not saying that, we, um, that, that w- there wouldn't be a time when we would need to confront someone because some activity is really harmful to themselves, to others, for society. Dishonoring to God. In fact, we're going through Luke Crouch family. Let me give you another perspective on that. And actually, you, you need to go sell everything you have, and then and then move. On. You know, he, he's all, all the time offering rebuttals, corrections. Clearly, Jesus is not saying that um, we just need to live and let live, and never never rebut, never never make another argument, never say this is a better way, or push onto someone else's perspective, or have strong opinions on things. Very clearly, he's not saying that, um, and, and even that we would move along in a unwise way and decisions. He's not saying any of that. Um, So what is he saying? And I think the the best way that we can understand this would be uh, to look at a a couple of the the parable that Jesus gives here. And I'm going to pick that up in, in verse 41 on what Jesus, the point he is saying. Whenever he explains it, he says, all right, let me tell you a parable. Sometimes the parables kind of confuse the matter on purpose, but this time I think it's actually really clarifying. Verse 41, Why do you, why do you see the speck in, that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me get that, take out that speck in your eye. When you yourself do not see the log that is in your eye, you hypocrite, first take out the log that's in your own eye, then you'll be able to see clearly to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. So if you notice, even in the parable, um, there is a time when you point out a speck that someone else, that's in someone else's eye. There is a time you're like, hey, I think there's something you may not be seeing here. Or let me give you, let me, can I offer a rebuttal? Can I offer another perspective on this moral stance you've taken or on your perspective on religion or politics or even how you treated me last week? It could be almost anything else. What Jesus is saying here is that there needs to be an element of kindness about us, an element of love and graciousness about us, that, that um, a sense even of self-awareness on issues that might be clouding our judgment and that we need to deal first in a decisive way with ourselves to make sure we're even seeing this clearly. Um, I also think that there would be an element of not prejudging based on someone's circumstance or, oh, you're one of those kind of girls. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've already made up your mind about them ahead of time or, oh, you, oh, of course that's what you would think because you're one of these kind of people and this is where you're from. Um, that we're going to avoid prejudging, but also any kind of self righteousness where we're up here and other people are down here. That that would be um, that would be out for sure. And I think for a lot of you in here that have walked away from the faith or away from any kind of organized Christianity, there's a really good chance that this might be the reason why, is you just got the sense that you maybe you made a mistake and, and you even know that you did, but there was this air of superiority that they were way up here and that they just don't know how anybody could ever do what you did and maybe not aware enough of very similar struggles that they've had that have manifested themselves in different ways. And maybe they haven't done that thing. Maybe they even actually have. They just did a better job of covering their tracks, and that that sense of hypocrisy and lack of self awareness and lack of their own sense of grace that they've received from the Lord, um, that that those parts right there just they stunk to you. And um, let I mean, we've seen this a lot of different times in your life, I'm sure. Um, you know, have you ever had a, a situation where you know there's a marriage and they both feel entrenched in their positions, they feel perfectly justified in withdrawing and pulling away from the relationship? They each have their reasons, and they feel perfectly justified for them. And you listen to both of them you're like, man, I don't even know. Or maybe someone in a professional situation like I had a few years ago where uh, this is the sand in the gears in relationship is a lack of a sense of self and um, even how um, your own issues and um, your need for grace and how we project. So I'll give you an example. Um, So I had a uh, very difficult situation. My dad had died. We were were raising my little brother. And at the same time, I was more or less forced to resign from a church um, because of disagreements with my, my pastor and supervisor. And man, I was super bitter. And if you'd have talked to me in 1997, 1998, I would have given you all the reasons that they were really wrong. And some of those actually were correct at the time. There's some of them that weren't fair, but, you know, they were afraid of people's opinions and a few influential church members, um, you know, operating out of fear because of new kids that were coming to the youth group, that they, they reacted out of fear and conservatism and other things like that. Um, and, um, and, and so doing really made a bad decision, all this. And like, that, that was it. That was the end of the conversation for me. And if I would have been having a conversation with you, I'm quite sure I would have been pretty judgmental about, the perspective of not only my boss and pastor, but that church as a whole on their perspective. So you fast forward a few years, and I'll work doing whatever to support my family for a year and a half. I end up, we end up moving to Lubbock when Amy started medical school, and I get a job at Southcrest Baptist part-time. That turned into full-time a year later. And then everything kind of settled down. And once, like, it seemed like my family was being provided for and my career was kind of moving again and things like that, and my family was all right, I began to kind of be able to take a step back and began to look a bit, honestly take the log out of my eye. It began to see a bit more clearly Exactly what the spec was there in their eye, but even began to see. Oh my goodness! Look at this log. And um, let's start with the fact that I thought I was more spiritual than everybody in the room. Let's start with that one. How about the fact that I wrongly thought, as a 23 year old youth guy, that I was a change agent in a 60 year old church that had been around and in a very small uh, rural community in um, in Texas. And um, and I changed where they'd been going to youth camp for decades. My first summer there, and a lack of wisdom, arrogance, moving too fast and a whole bunch of other things, everywhere from being unwise to even sinfully arrogant... And, um, and it took me a while, I'm talking years to get perspective to be like, okay, like I, I, kind of, I think I kind of see where they went wrong but now I see where I went wrong too. And we even actually got on the phone and had this incredibly uh, great conversation where we both admitted specific wrong to one another and apologized to one another. It was beautiful and rare and awesome and healing to me. And this is the way that Jesus is pointing out to us here is hey look, the, the sand in the gears is you're gonna be mad about things and you're gonna see things from your perspective And it's going to be so hard. We're going to have to help each other see it. Um, This is the sand in the gears in our relationships and our professional relationships. But what Jesus is saying is consider that uh, the way that Christ has dealt with you. And he he doesn't judge you that if you're one of his, that he'll judge you if you've not put your hope in him. If you've not looked to Christ and his death and resurrection, then yes, judgment would be coming for you. But if you have, he loves you and he corrects you and disciplines you as a son and a daughter and is working for your good, effectiveness and your fruitful if it was doing us kind to the evil, to the ungrateful, that we were to experience grace like this. I can't think of anything else that would be more attractive to our world that when grace would flow through us and that we would walk this way of Jesus where we exude grace even while we disagree, even while we make stances, even when we make rebuttals, that there's a kindness that we're not making straw men of the other, of the other perspective. Um, there's a kindness even about we do it. There's a sense of sympathy when our brothers and sisters fall Um, there's a a kindness even to those who leave the faith that would mark us um, as a people because that's exactly what Christ has done even um, and um, that we would walk in this so Lord would you let this mark us would you let uh, be this kind of people that would walk by grace in your kindness and I pray this in Jesus name amen